Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Sylvie and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Killam Apartment REIT First Quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. Thank you. Mr. Philip Fraser. President and CEO, you may begin the conference. Hello, and thank you for joining Killam Apartment REIT's Q1 2020 conference call. I am here today with Robert Richardson, Executive Vice President, Dale Noseworthy, Chief Financial Officer, Aaron Cleveland, Senior Vice President of Finance, and Nancy Alexander, Vice President of Investor Relations and Sustainability. Slides to accompany today's call are available on the Investor Relations section of our website under events and presentations. I will now ask Nancy to read our cautionary statement. Thanks, Phil. This presentation may contain forward-looking statements with respect to Kilm Apartment REIT and its operations, strategy, financial performance, and condition. The actual results and performance of Kilm Apartment REIT discussed in here could differ materially from those expressed or implied by such statements. Such statements are qualified in their entirety by the inherent risks and uncertainties surrounding future expectations. Important factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations include, among other things, risks and uncertainties related to the COVID-19 pandemic, general economic and market factors, competition, changes in government regulation, and the factors described under risk factors in Killam's annual information form and other securities security regulatory filings. The cautionary statements qualify all forward-looking statements attributable to Kilm Apartment REIT and persons acting on its behalf. Unless otherwise stated, all forward-looking statements speak only as of the date to which this presentation refers and the parties have no obligation to update such statements. Thank you, Nancy. We are pleased to report strong operating and financial results for the first quarter of 2020. I want to first acknowledge that things have not been business as usual since the middle of March, as we are all adjusting to the new norm during the COVID-19 health crisis. We will go through our Q1 financial highlights and then take the opportunity to give you a current business and operational update. We will also give an update on our acquisition and development progress before opening the call up for questions. I will now hand it over to Dale to take us through our Q1 results. Thanks, Phil. We achieved net income of $38.2 million in Q1 and earned funds from operations of $0.22 cents per unit, a 4.8% increase from Q1 2019. AFFO was $0.18 cents per unit, up 12.5%. In addition to earnings growth, we had a strong start against our strategic priorities in Q1, increasing earnings from our existing asset base maintaining a strong balance sheet, 
and advancing our acquisition and development pipeline to expand outside Atlantic Canada. Slide four highlights our Q1 financial performance. FFO and AFFO per unit growth was primarily attributable to strong same property performance, accretive acquisitions, and contributions from the recently completed Frontier development in Ottawa. We're pleased with the performance of our same property portfolio, with NOI up 6.1% and 160 basis point operating margin improvement. With strong fundamentals and our revenue enhancing programs, occupancy remained strong during the quarter at 97.2% and rental rates were up 3.4% across the department portfolio. As illustrated on slide five, overall operating expenses decreased 0.7% due to reduced utility and heating fuel consumption from both a milder winter and energy efficiency projects installed in the past year. We also benefited from lower natural gas and heating oil pricing. Utility savings were partially offset by general operating cost increases due to inflationary cost pressures, increased insurance premiums, and the growth in our leasing team in the last 12 months. Property taxes were up 4.1% with higher assessments. In addition to strong NOI growth, Killam realized lower interest rates on mortgage, re mortgage refinanced during the first quarter with rates 70 basis points lower than on maturing debt and below our budget expectations. Slide six highlights our debt maturity profile including average apartment mortgage rates by year versus prevailing CMHC-insured mortgage rates. Subsequent to quarter end and the onset of COVID-19, mortgage financing and renewals have progressed on schedule and with further, further interest rate savings. The average rate on our CMHC-insured mortgages refinanced in Q2 to date is 1.7%. We continue to manage our balance sheet conservatively, as highlighted on slide seven. Debt as a percentage of total assets was 44.4% at March 31st, and we have realized improvements in our debt service and interest coverage ratios. We're pleased to have expanded our credit capital flexibility over the last few years. This includes reduced debt levels across the portfolio, a pool of unencumbered assets of approximately 75 million, and 100 million of capital available through two lines of credit. In addition, looking forward, we have approximately 40 million in mortgage up financings expected during the remainder of 2020. I will now turn the call over to Robert, who will give more details on our operations and the impact of COVID-19 on our business. Thank you, Dale. Good morning, everyone. The past eight weeks have certainly been demanding, but through it all, what stands out the most has been the commitment, compassion, and cooperation of Kilm's employees, what they have demonstrated every day in helping each other, our residents, and our commercial tenants deal with COVID-19, as Kilm maintains safe housing for more than 20,000 families. Kilm's 650 employees are doing a superlative job managing through COVID-19, and a special shout out to our 352 frontline employees, specifically our resident managers and their assistants, our maintenance team members, and our administrative staff that interact daily with our residents, suppliers, and the public on a daily basis. We cannot ask for a more skilled employee group. Kilm will maintain its vigilant cleaning and social distancing programs as we work to navigate the relaxing of closure mandates by the various provinces. 
Kiln takes the health of its many stakeholders very seriously. And although we are pleased to date with our success in managing the virus, we know Canada and the world have a ways to go yet before anyone can relax. As Philip mentioned previously, Kiln was well prepared to do its part in minimizing and eventually stopping the virus spread. Looking at slide nine, Kim's long-standing strategy remains unchanged. However, priority one at this time is keeping Kiln's employees, residents, and our commercial tenants and their customers healthy and safe as we refine our procedures and prepare our properties for the return to the new normal in the second half of 2020. That said, Kiln will simultaneously pursue opportunities to increase both funds from operations and net asset value where we can by increasing earnings from the existing portfolio, expanding the portfolio to diversify geographically, plus continuing to develop high quality properties in Kiln's core market. I want to touch on the key revenue drivers and operating initiatives that enable Kiln to deliver consistently strong returns to its investors. For example, our strong same property net operating income performance is largely attributable to Kiln's ability to grow its revenues. Slide 10 charts Kiln's rental growth rates for the first quarter of each of the past five years. We have generated consistent revenue growth for the first quarter of each of the past five years, and most recently, Kiln delivered 3.4% growth in Q1 2020, same property rental rates, 50 basis points better than Q1 2019. Kiln's value proposition and market fundamentals remain strong as we achieve record high Q1 occupancy levels in many of Kiln's markets. In this quarter, Kiln posted 2.1% rental rate growth on renewals, 6.1% rental rate growth on new leasing, and an impressive 28.4% rental rate growth on leasing of renovated units. Early trending during COVID-19 indicates that unit turnover has declined and this is expected to temper Kiln's ability to move rent to market as fewer units will be available for new leasing and Kiln's unit upgrade program. The market's trend in recent years has been to lower unit turnover. For example, 2019's unit turnover was 30.4%, 140 basis points less than fiscal 2018. So given COVID-19 this year, we estimate Kiln's unit turnover may decrease by 3.5%, to finish the year at plus or minus 27% turnover. Also, Kiln's decision to assist its tenant base by suspending rental rate increases for April, May, and until COVID-19 has been curtailed will put pressure on revenue growth. The exact impact on revenue due to fewer suites turning is unknown, but we will know more when we report for Q2 2020. For now, we are forecasting positive same property revenue growth for 2020. Further, we anticipate businesses, business to be relatively normal for 2021, given the healthy rental demand in Killam's core markets. The demand for Killam's new and newly renovated rental units remains strong across the portfolio. After completing 304 renovated units in 2019, Killam's 2020 repositioning program targeted between 400 and 500 units as shown on slide 11. Although 2020's number of repositioned units remains on track at this point, we've adjusted the annual target to be between 300 and 500 repositioned units, a wider spread given the uncertainty. In Q1, we upgraded and repositioned 95 units with an average cost to upgrade of $25,000. 
and earned a 13% unlevered return. Clearly, many of Kilm's residents prefer upgraded units and will pay for these upgrades, so Kilm will work diligently to meet this demand. Slide 12 highlights Kilm's investment in its online operating and financial platform and its preference to embrace technology in a, in a traditional brick-and-mortar business. This is paying additional dividends in the age of COVID-19. Our customer relationship management software, launched in 2019, enables our leasing team to work remotely and use virtual showings to lease our available units. This CRM technology enabled Kiln to deliver high quality service to our residents and prospective residents uninterrupted during this time. Operationally, online portals and mobile apps have seamlessly facilitated payment processing and enabled our accounting and property management teams to work remotely from their phones, tablets, or their computer. Maintenance technicians receive work orders on their mobile phones and have adjusted their priorities to focus on emergency work orders and other work that respects social distancing. Despite COVID-19, we remain focused on key operating initiatives at Killam, including active management of expenses to optimize net operating income in conjunction with sustainability. Referring to slide 13, we are prioritizing our capital expenditures while also embracing green projects and remain very focused on energy savings. These projects help minimize Kiln's carbon footprint whilst mitigating the impact of expense increases from rising energy rates and other inflationary pressures. On March 31, 2020, we issued our 2019 ESG report, which can be found on our website. It was prepared in accordance with global reporting initiative standards. Further, Kiln has independently measured its greenhouse gas emissions to provide a benchmark for future assessments. We're fully committed to ESG and are working on our second submission to the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark Organization, better known as GRESD. I will now hand you back to Philip to provide an update on our April rent collections, acquisitions, and our development pipeline. Thank you, Robert. As shown on slide 14, we have 90% of the total amount of our revenue coming from apartment tenants, 4% from MHCs, and 6% from our commercial tenants. As of yesterday, we've received 97% of April's rent. Rent has been collected from 98.6% of our apartments, 98.2% of MHCs, and 72% of our commercial revenue. We are working on rental deferral arrangements with a number of our commercial tenants in less than 50 residential tenants. While it is early, May rent collection is also looking favorable and in line with our April payment timeline. Many of our commercial tenants, retail in particular, have been especially hard hit with the closures of all non-essential services across the country. Slide 15 shows a breakdown of our 739,000 square feet of commercial of our commercial portfolio, which is approximately 6% of our total projected annual revenue. Over the next few months, we intend to work with our tenants on an individual basis to find solutions for the non-payment of rent. The commercial space consists mainly of three large assets. Westbound Place, 300,000 square feet, 50% interest in Charlottetown Mall, 175,000 square feet, in the brewery market, 150,000 square feet. The brewery is a unique mixed-use asset connecting 
to our 240-unit apartment building, the Alexander, in downtown Halifax. The other two assets, Westmount Place and Charlottetown Mall, were acquired with a long-term residential development potential. To date, we have collected 98.2% of April's MAC rent, which only leaves $17,000 that is still outstanding. We have also collected 72% of April's commercial rent, which leaves approximately $350,000 outstanding. With rental deferrals in place and ongoing discussions with our tenants, we expect to collect between 60 to 75% of this rent. Slide 16 summarizes our year-to-date acquisition activity, showing $70.5 million in Q1 acquisitions. We detailed Christie Point and nine Carrington acquisitions during our February conference call. In March, we made two small purchases, a MHC in Shediac, New Brunswick, and a small apartment building in Halifax, adjacent to a property we own in downtown. Both were easily absorbed in our operating platform. On April 30th, we purchased the, the crossing at Belmont, a 156-unit property in Langford, BC. This property, as seen on slides 18 and 20, was purchased for $60 million. This is Killam's second apartment purchase in the greater Victoria market. The bottom floor of each building contains retail space, which Killam did not purchase. The all-cash yield is 4.4%, and the building contains the mixture of one and two bedrooms with an average rent of $1,868 per month. Lease-up started in the fall of 2019, and the the property is currently 86% leased at $2.61 per square foot. The property has many amenities, including a bike storage and repair area and a dog grooming station. Adjacent to the property is Belmont Market, a new grocery-anchored retail center owned by Crombie Reed. Killam's development activity is a key cornerstone to our long-term growth strategy. All of, the, all of the developments progressed well in Q1, but construction activity began to slow in April. In the short term, our four development projects under construction will likely be impaired by temporary delays due to work slowdowns, labor shortages, and potential delays in supply chain until provincial state of emergency orders are lifted. Slides 22 to 24 show renderings and progress photos of the Latitude, the second phase of, our, of the Ottawa project with RioCan. We broke ground in Q2 2019 on the Latitude, and the expected completion date is still late 2021. Details and progress photos of our shorefront development located in Charlottetown are, sl- are shown on slides 25 and 26. We started pre-leasing this asset in, in the past couple of weeks, and have experienced very good demand for this new product in Charlottetown, anticipating a September 2020 opening. The K in Mississauga broke ground in late 2019 with renderings and progress photos on slides 27 to 29. This 128-unit development has a $56 million budget with an anticipated 5% all-cash yield. Construction financing was secured in April, and all the remaining development costs will be funded through this facility. 
COVID-19 has not yet impacted the estimated cost, and we expect this project to be completed by early 2022. Slide 30 shows the Harley, a 38-unit building in Charlottetown that will be that will be completed in Q4 of this year. Finally, slide 31 shows our current development pipeline. Killam has two additional developments slated to break ground in 2020, but we do not anticipate commencing projects until the health crisis is over. To conclude, at Killam, we are confident that we have the asset base of great residential buildings, a growing MHC portfolio, and commercial assets with residential development opportunities, along with the people and operating platform necessary to execute on our strategy for the ongoing benefit of our unit holders. This concludes the formal part of the presentation, and we will now open up the call for questions. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And should you wish to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. And your first question will be from Jonathan Kelcher at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Good um, morning. First, just to, to clarify on the, um, the amount outstanding on the commercial. So you expect to get 60 to 75 percent of that of the 350,000 uh, currently outstanding. We expect that is our best estimate today in terms of being able to collect that in the future. Yes, that's the worst case that we're looking at. Okay, and then would that be so that would work out to. I guess kind of 85 to 90 percent total when all is said and done. And, and would you expect that same sort of level for May and June? Yes, I think that was our sort of estimate for the next three to four months as everything is in the state of emergency and lockdown and unopened. Okay, uh, that's that's helpful. Um, and then just on the on the Langford acquisition. Um, is that is that 4.4 percent cap rate? Is is that stabilized or on the 88 percent? That's stabilized at a 98 percent. Okay, and at the at the 260 square foot rent. At 261, yes. Okay, um, that's helpful. And then lastly, just. Um, what, what's the status of the, the, the Calgary development that um, you guys are, are committed to uh, to acquire? Um, the status is is that um, our developing partner Sidex has broken ground, and they're basically at the um, the point where they're pouring the foundation of the underground parking. Okay, so that would that's obviously when, when would you expect to acquire that I would expect to, to acquire that in either probably second quarter of 2021 okay and then the price is still 55 million yes okay thanks I'll uh, I'll turn it back thank you thank you 
Next question will be from Johan Rodriguez at Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, Could you maybe just kind of classify or, or describe the commercial group that hasn't paid? Like, what, what kind of businesses are they? Um, okay, um, we will. And I think I'm going to have um, Rob, if you can um, start by maybe giving a little bit of color, sure. and I'll see if I can add anything more to it. Hi, Johan. Um, the ones that aren't paying actually would be the smaller businesses, the independents, but we see that at Westmount would be some clothing stores, um, some food establishments, which are ones that are mandated to shut down. They're not able to pay and they don't have big reserves. Um, the other one that's interesting in terms of a profile would be medical practitioners, which is a fair number of the people, uh, the businesses that are in Westmount as an example. And uh, they've been, uh, asking for deferrals and we've been granting deferrals. We feel for the most part across the board, those that aren't paying and uh, have been asking for deferrals, and they're gonna be able to pay. And what the government's offering the small businesses, we see that as a good sign. And if you take a look at Charlottetown Mall, there's deferral grant agreements in place there with some of the bigger retailers pretty much across the board. Um, so generally speaking, we see the quality of our tenant bases is quite strong, and, but they are taking the opportunity to use deferral at this time. So we expect to get it back, and our deal would be we'd give two or three months of deferral, and we'd look to recover that over the next year, um, and we wouldn't charge any interest. Okay, great. I think that, that's helpful. Um, and then in, in terms of a portfolio mark-to-market, um, do, do you know what that would have been at the end of kind of Q1 and then you know, I guess it would have shrunk um, in April and May. Do you have a sense as to, to maybe what that would have been cut to? Uh, Dale? Yeah, go ahead, Dale. Dale. Yeah. So um, so you're talking residential, I assume, back yeah. now? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, it's varied by market. I think we would have said in the past somewhere between, you know, 5 and 20, depending on the market, probably averaging somewhere, you know, around 12 to 15%. Um, you know, in, we've been we've been digging into a lot of data in the last little while, and interesting to see even on turns um, and looking at leases that have been signed in the last six weeks, we are still seeing um, some pretty strong mark-to-market numbers. So we're not seeing a lot of evidence right now that on turns we've seen market rents drop in any big way. Uh, it certainly has varied by market, um, but. You know, in Halifax, for example, we've we've still seen some very some strong numbers similar to what we would have seen pre-COVID. So um, we're starting with a you know a smaller base of numbers, but right now I'd say indications are we do still have a mark to market, and I put it somewhere, you know, maybe it's uh, averaging, maybe it's it's come down a few a little bit, but still uh, I'd say you know ten percent ish, eight to ten. Okay, okay, that's helpful. And then just lastly, what, what amount, like what same property and Y growth do you think you can generate? Like if you're, if you're taking away rental increases and renewals, you, you've got turn and then expense compression. So what, what kind of SPNY could you generate just, just with those two? So, you know, I mean, 
there's there's a big range we're looking at. Uh, right. Certainly, having we expect to even if we were flat on the renewals, we do expect to continue to get gains on turns at this point with the information that we're seeing. So with that and a strong start with strong Q1 numbers, you know I think that um, we feel we could do some positive top line growth. And on the expense side. Um, you know, again, those heating costs make a difference and seeing that savings in Q1 has helped. So I don't want to give a number, but, um, you know, based on the information that we're seeing, we would say we still expect to see top line growth and we are managing expenses as we always do to manage that. So um, after Q2, when we have a little bit more insight into what this could look like in the long term, we'll be prepared to give more of a forecast. But um, you know, there's a there's a range of, of sensitivities we're looking at, but right now uh, we think positive top line growth is still a very real possibility. Okay, perfect. Uh, I'll turn it back. Real nice job, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Howard Leung at Veritas. Please go ahead. Um, good morning. Um, I just wanted to to uh, to dig into the. Um, the, the rent collections that you had um, for the apartments in, in April um, and so far May seem to be pretty strong. I know you may not have the data, it might be difficult, but any idea of those tenants that you collected from, you know, which ones are a big number of them on government assistance programs? Um, are, are some of them still employed? Like any kind of color you could give to that? Um, uh, good morning, Howard. Um, I think those are they're good questions, and um, I can start out with the first comment is is that we collect almost 80% of our rents from PAPs, pre-authorized payments, and then on any given month, whether it's been you know looking back at what we just accomplished in April and what we're going to um, the numbers are going to look like in May, um, we would have some number that would end up going through um, NSF. And that takes another two to three days after the first of the month to figure out, um, for whatever reasons, why um, the check didn't clear. And what I can say is, is that the trend on an average month versus last month versus what we just saw in the first six days of May, knowing that May was, the first of May was a February, so there was the weekend which kind of slows down the collection, um, we've seen a drop in um, NSF checks. So that's a nice positive trend. So that's the base of where we have the, the 80%. Um, I think it's also important to highlight that since the beginning of Killam, which is close to 20 years, that is the percentage of rent that you get in roughly on the first day. And then through the next three weeks, on, if this was a normal month, we would collect the remaining 19.8% um, throughout the three weeks. So um, for maybe some people, they are surprised to hear that, that normally there's a lot of rent that comes in depending on the payment the, at the end of the first week. Um, a lot more comes in be, before the 15th. And then surprisingly, we would have a bunch of agencies, um, for instance, the Newfoundland government, we have a number of tenants that the government pays um, and other agencies um, throughout the country and a lot of times their check comes in after the 20th so it's important to know that we know that that money is coming in so back to your question which is really about 
Um, do we have any transparency on the tenants that have maybe collecting this $2,000? And we really do not at the time. I mean, what we do have is a bunch of, not a bunch, good data on the profile of our tenant base. And I can get maybe Nancy to sort of give you a breakdown on that. But up until now, or even today, we really do not see um, or have the ability to see who is collecting money from these government programs. And it's from our sort of viewpoint, it's um, basically just another month of collecting rent from our tenants. Right, that, that's really helpful. Um, I, I guess, I guess. Um, if I could add something too, Howard. Sure. Um, this is Robert. So what we saw the first of May is that our NFFs were less by about half than what we saw at the beginning of April. So that's a very encouraging sign. Uh, so I don't think that um, most of these, uh, most of our tenants are accessing um, a great amount of, uh, of government assistance to make that rental payment. The trend is, a, is in a positive, in a positive way. The other thing that's interesting to note from a deferral perspective, you know, we report that we have no more than 50 of our tenants on rental deferral programs. That's 30 basis points of our of our uh, tenant base, so it's very low. I know some others have reported this week, and their numbers are considerably higher. So again, we'd have a strong uh, a strong rental base that is paying the rent. Right. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the deferrals were I think you mentioned less than 50 tenants, so it's a it's a very low number. And and I guess another kind of point that's interesting is um, the, uh, when you gave a preliminary update, I think on the first, just after the first week of April, the collection rate was already 93%. And then it, really over the next month, there was only an increase of kind of five, five percentage points to 98 uh, for apartments. So I guess it, it, even in April, the majority of tenants had paid the first week, right? And you probably, based on where May is that you probably expect something similar. Exactly. Okay. Um, I guess moving to the valuations, I just saw that uh, for the apart for the uh, best properties, they softened a bit, um, and uh, the, the the part of that was because of higher bad debt and reduction of rental growth. Is that is is that mainly on the commercial side, or did you also write down some of the apartments as well? Um, Dale, do you want to hear that question to either to Dale or or Aaron? Yeah. Uh, I'll start, Aaron, but feel free to to jump in. So, um, so I'd say we, you know, essentially made left our um, our values flat from Q4. Um, a lot of those allowances, what we did take into consideration, that was residential that we're referring to, um, and we were looking at what do we expect our rent growth to be with the situation that we're in now with rent freezes on renewals was the big driver of our rent growth expectations that would have impacted our top line growth expectations. And, and as you mentioned, and we disclosed an allowance for a bad debt. So, um, so overall we, um, you know, we had, we not seen COVID, we would have seen a, a fair value increase in our assets, but with those assumption changes that resulted in um, essentially a flat fair value of the portfolio from the year end. Okay, that, that's helpful. Um, thanks, thanks for this. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you do have any questions at this time, please press star followed by one on your touchstone phone. And your next question will be from Troy McLean at BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
thank you and good morning. Um, just curious, um, Dale, you mentioned rent lifts have varied by market uh, since this began. Can you give us any color on what you're seeing in Alberta? Uh, sure. So uh, the data that um, we're looking at now, the numbers, full disclosure, are pretty small because it's only uh, a few weeks. I guess it's five weeks of data. So uh, we're seeing, um, you know, an, in an increase for our Calgary portfolio um, of uh, about 3% and uh, just a very slight decline in Edmonton, I'd say, essentially close enough to call it flat. Um, and then just curious, do you know how much of your tenant base would be uh, students uh, or especially international students? So, um, um, Nancy, do you want to, oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll give that yeah. to Nancy. Hey, Troy, it's Nancy. Um, yeah, we have about 15% or so of our total base is students. I don't know exactly how many of that is uh, international students. Um, but uh, our student, I can tell you our leasing trends right now, our student properties are doing quite well. Uh, we would have seen a decrease in turnover, but we also, uh, you know, some decrease in leasing activity, but also some decrease in turnover. And uh, we, what we're finding is the activity we have is really good quality activity, less what we call tire kickers, and some really good traffic. So, you know, for example, um, a student building that we have, 180 mil in London, Ontario, is doing that, you know, if leasing activity is compared and occupancy at this stage is at the same as it was last May. And so are a couple of our student uh, buildings here in uh, Halifax. Um, also, just to give you a little color on that, um, April occupancy for apartments was better than last year's, and MHCs was the same. So we're really with a good trend in May that occupancy as well overall um, will be better than May 2019. Um, thank you. Those are my questions. Good color. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Matt Kornack at National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, with regards to your geographic exposure, and I think uh, someone hinted at it before, but obviously the federal uh, welfare subsidy package that's uh, been rolled out has a disproportionate impact in areas where rents may be lower. Uh, but, but what are you thinking from a reopening standpoint in Atlantic Canada? I mean, Atlantic Canada has probably fared better with regards to this infection uh, than other regions, but... Uh, that subsidy is a near-term uh, tailwind in terms of people being able to pay rent, and I'm, I'm wondering how you think about the economy going forward. Um, hi, Matt. Uh, I can... Sorry, your question. Hmm? You go ahead, Rob. No, no that's okay. So go ahead. I can fill it no, in. I, I was just trying to understand his question first. Um, yeah, I was just like, you... do you, I mean, do you think Atlantic Canada is less exposed economically to this uh, this crisis? Obviously, there's there's going to be job losses generally, but uh, are the industries that uh, you have there uh, likely to come back quicker? And and I'd assume that because there's been less of a virus impact, you you can reopen quicker. I'm not sure what what the individual geographies are doing out there, but. Uh, Quebec's trying to lead the way here, and, and we'll see what happens. But uh, generally speaking, economically, it doesn't seem like Atlantic Canada would be as exposed uh, to some of the industries that have been hard hit. Well, I'm going to give you a couple thoughts, and I'll turn this as well as over to Robert. Um, the first part of your question, as I understand it, I mean, you're asking um, where we are, whether it's Atlantic Canada versus the rest of the country, about the overall economic impact or 
how we reopen the, the um, economy once provincially the restrictions get lifted probably in phases. And in terms of what it's going to look like in 12 months or 18 months from an unemployment point of view, I really don't know. But I do believe that the a lot of the large employers in based in Atlantic Canada, like the Irving Shipyard, once the restrictions are lifted that they can come back and start the work, all those people will be back employed. So there is a whole range of jobs like that with a large layoff, say in Michelin, wherever it is, up in, in New Brunswick in terms of the forestry. Those jobs are still there and waiting for the, the restrictions to be lifted and people will get back to work. Um, so that's my kind of my first point, and I don't think it's any different right across the country from that. Um, it's just a matter of how in the staging that these jobs come back and one gets open. Um, I think that there's, you know, from the residential point of view, we're quite comfortable um, with our assets and for people knowing they have to live somewhere that um, we will collect our rent and most people are prepared to sort of make sure that they have enough money for the necessities, food, and shelter. The What's occupying management at Killam quite a bit, and even though it's a very small part, we want to help out our commercial tenants, whether they're in the base of an, or the first floor of an apartment building, or for instance, West Mount Plaza, and, um, and then over in um, Charlottetown Mall. So um, in that, I think will take time, but again, most of those jobs will come back and the stores will, will reopen. Now, Rob, I'll, I'll give it to you to just to sort of add your thoughts to the question. Sure, thank you, Philip. So we would have um, in Atlantic Canada, the four major cities are all capitals of the provinces, and so therefore would have a fair bit of government, and we see that as a good base. Uh, they're all being paid, nothing layoffs there. And we'll see that. And then we're in Edmonton and we're in the nation's capital, Ottawa. So across the board, we, we will benefit from the, the employment in those cities from government agencies. So uh, we see that as being one of our one of our benefits. But overall, I mean, specifically, you asked about Atlantic Canada. Um, you know, Phil made the point. Uh, I think that we have a number of big employers that will go back to work. You know, taking Halifax, for example, uh, construction is a big part of uh, how people are employed here. There's lots on the go, and uh, and we know that a lot of the people that work in that sector are able to go back to work. They can get distancing uh, in a lot of cases, so I, I see that coming back fairly rapidly. Um, so, you know, I just a bit of a comment. Uh, recently, the, the, the phrase has been, you know, record unemployment, record unemployment, and actually I think that we should be more precise. It's record layoffs. These, these, are, this, these are not permanent job losses. And I think in any jurisdiction that a lot of people come back to work, but I think the media likes to put out there the phrase that uh, these are record unemployment numbers. Reality is that's not true. I think when I when I think of unemployment, it's a permanent event, whereas I think the vast majority of what we're seeing here is is a layoff situation. Fair enough, and and I mean the the federal government's uh, bridge in terms of. Uh, $2,000 a month per person goes a, a fair bit uh, versus the rent that you're collecting on your apartments and, and nobody's going out to party or go to a bar these days so they've got a little bit more disposable income to pay rent and groceries 
Um, and last question for me with regards to margins, uh, are there incremental COVID related cleaning costs? And it sounds like uh, energy uh, costs are, have come down more than enough to offset that, but going into sort of lower consumption energy months, would you expect uh, the, the cleaning and, and other costs related to COVID to maybe grind margins a little bit? Um, uh, we don't think that it's going to grind the margins. Where we are spending some additional funds is actually on our frontline staff. So we would have given them a raise through this uh, this event, and then we'll continue until we see our way through it. Um, but other than that, I mean, the cleaning cost, but it, it's not a material number, and we have seen gains elsewhere. So I think my expectation is, and our expectation is, we should be relatively flat. And Aaron, do you want any, any more clarity on that? No, okay. I think that covers it. Thanks, Ed. All right. Thank you. Next question will be from Brad Sturgis at IA Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Just uh, one quick question. Uh, with the the reduced um, uh, leasing traffic right now, does that mean you're seeing a better conversion rate just based on the type of traffic you're seeing right now is more perhaps being a, more of a necessity to, to make a move from a life circumstance or any any color there would be helpful? Um, hi, Brad. It's Nancy. Uh, yes, that's that's correct. You'd be seeing a better conversion ratio, so there's just less traffic. But um, you know, there's been such demand in the last year, we would have had an abundant amount of traffic. Sometimes you don't need five applications to lease one unit, right? So uh, we're, what we're seeing now is a lot of really good quality, and uh, you know, the decline uh, in turnover that we're seeing, uh, especially with uh, some of the properties, I guess, that are um, more focused on an older demographic. Um, but we're also seeing you know reduced traffic, but reduced turnover. It's kind of going hand in hand with our occupancy in April and May and forecasting out to look very comparable to what it was last year. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star followed by one. Next is a follow-up from Howard. Please go ahead. Thanks uh, for taking my follow-up. Um, just wanted to uh, follow up on the question earlier about the economic impact. <clears throat> and... Um, uh, and just talking about some of the job losses, uh, I'm wondering, you know, for tenants who are in more of the service industries or travel, there could be some, you know, more permanent layoffs. Any sense um, of, of uh, how many of those tenants comprise the Tequilum's uh, space? I can't think of anybody on the travel side, to tell you the truth. That uh, I'm pretty sure, and I've been down that list, none of it jumps out at me from that perspective. And what was the other one you had, Howard? Uh, the, the the service jobs. So I guess like restaurants or. Oh. Uh, yeah, we would we would certainly have restaurants. Um, I can't say how many square feet or, or gross dollar amount is related to those tenants, but it wouldn't be a major uh, a major number. Um, but you know, when I think of our portfolio, and off the top of my head, it's not that big, so I can go through most of it. Um, I would say to you, it's a it's ancillary, so it would be, you know, so we'd have some, you know, Chinese food in one case, Italian. Um, across the board, we'd have uh, a good mix. Yeah. I'm not saying that uh, none of them will find themselves in, in you know, difficult times, but I don't think you're going to see that many. I really don't. Yeah. That, that, that's great. Um, and then just one more on, on turnover. 
Um, you mentioned uh, overall, so for the year turnover might be down. I think it was three to four um, percent. For the uh, for April, um, what was the turnover? I guess compared to year over year, I don't know if I missed it or. Um, I do know for the first well, since the start of this year that we are down about, I think a, um, so I think it was 7.8% with turnover for the first four months last year, and this year it's about 6.1 or two, so one, um, yeah, one yeah, point. One I think Nancy just said 1.8, so one and a half. Yeah, so it, it's not been that significant. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, that, those are my follow-ups. Thanks. Thank you. And at this time, Mr. Fraser, we have no other questions, sir. Please proceed. Um, I would like to thank everybody for participating today, and we look forward to the Q2 um, conference call that will be in, in early August. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending, and at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.